everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Epic Failing Podcast. This week we have with us Jody Gondon. Jody, hello, and then thank you for being on my podcast. Thanks for having me on. You are running for mayor. I am. What makes somebody in today's day and age want to put themselves out there to ridicule? Because even if you're pretty squeaky clean, you're you face some pretty harsh criticism and you're really putting yourself out there to, to run for mayor. And it's not like American Idol where you could be you know, a huge, huge star after the fact, you know, when you're, and you're dealing with that, you're still a celebrity and the, the payout isn't, isn't as, as much. No. And you know what? I have to say the primary reason that I'm running is Calgary is at a very interesting time. The level of economic uncertainty that we are seeing right now is unprecedented to use a, a tired phrase, it's something that we haven't seen in the history of our young city. And I really believe that if we want to continue to attract new investment, if we want to welcome and retain talent, and if we really want to reestablish our economic advantage, we're going to have to be pretty intentional. And there's ways to do that, that I've uh, started on council. I have disrupted a very broken budgeting system that has a fundamental flaw in the formula for how we assess taxes that was keeping us from being competitive in drawing new businesses to Calgary. We've been able to push administration to be more nimble and responsive in their approach. And, you know, frankly, we've just been looking at how we create complete communities that people really enjoy and it improves their quality of life. So that's work that we've started that we need to carry on. So that's why I'm running. That's that's awesome. Two questions here. I don't know which one to ask first now. <laughs> um, so are you from Calgary? I'm not. I actually moved here in 1997. I'm originally from Manitoba, and I uh, came to Calgary by way of Wainwright, Alberta. By way of Wainwright? Hmm. Yeah, I was working at the local credit union there and had an opportunity to apply for a position with Credit Union Central in Calgary, and they gave me a chance. And that's why I always say the city took a chance on me in 97, and I haven't looked back. And that's awesome. Like, I mean, you get a lot of people that that move here from different places, but you've seen Calgary transform, right? You you were here for the big transformation. You went in two thousand three to seven, basically, uh, and I, I think that's important. I think that's important for a candidate to be, you know, to see how we were before the big boom, <laughs> and 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 how everything is taking place after the fact. You mentioned that. We have some challenges in our economy. I always look at Calgary as a like a, a beautiful city, and it always surprises me with these challenges because you know I live on the just barely on the east side of Deerfoot in, in Mayland, and and anytime I anytime I go west on Memorial and you see the backdrop of downtown with the mountains and everything, like it's we really are like a great city and it kind of is, it's inspiring every time I see it. I think it's, it's great. I love that skyline that we have. Well, and I think sometimes we forget that we talk about what's our vision for the future. And I think we need to be fairly aware of the fact that we live in a city that's got a lower cost of living, relatively speaking, than most other places in Canada. We managed to keep a lot of Calgarians employed in this downturn because we do have that diversity that sometimes we, we don't talk about enough in our economy. And you know what? We just have such a beautiful setting. Like if you think about all of the things that are within this city and all of the things that are located nearby, we're very fortunate to call this place home. With diversity, though, some may argue that we, we don't have enough of the diversity um, with our 
jobs in there in different industries. What uh, would you see us maybe pursuing if it's not going to be oil and gas, right? Or not as much oil and gas or energy, which kind of two different thoughts there, right? It could still be energy, but maybe just different energy. But do you see us kind of pursuing any other, like, you know, you hear about tech and that's such a wide range too. Tech is just like a, what's under the umbrella of that? Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about energy. And I think, you know, the thing that we need to embrace is the fact that, you know, we were leaders in oil and gas production back in the day. And I think we get very nostalgic for that past that we had. And I think it was that nostalgia that led us to vote the way we did back in 2019, because we were promised a comeback. And I think we've learned that there's no comeback looming. I think the comeback idea needs to be reimagined as future-proofing what we do and what we look like. And I think it is incredibly important for us to send a signal globally that we're a center of excellence for the transition economy. We are the place that you want to be if you are interested in doing energy production in a transition economy with something that's more sustainable, something that's greener, something that's cleaner. When every global energy producer is saying those things, let's just welcome them back here to do that transition. Let's take our roots in agriculture as an example. We have been leaders in farming and ranching. So let's start talking about food security and food sustainability on a global level. We are very capable of doing all of those things. And when it comes to tech, tech isn't just a sector, it's table stakes for the future of any organization that wants to grow. So, you know, we need to embrace all of those ideas and own our place. I think our identity needs to be very clear, very intentional and separated from hanging on to our provincial image. I, I agree with that. And I, I've always liked the fact that we were considered a young city and it was just because of my primarily the workforce and, and whatnot. But I mean, that kind of shows innovative and forward thinking it demonstrates that we're young in a few different ways. I mean, first of all, we're not very old as a city itself, as a municipal entity. We are quite young compared to other places. Our population is quite young. And that's a really good thing if we can keep some of those folks here uh, to keep their ties to the city. But we're also young in terms of how we imagine ourselves and we have an opportunity to really own our own space. And I think that's something that we haven't done very well. Like if I, if I get nerdy for just a moment, like we've been listening to political economists like Susky Assassin saying for 30 years, you know, um, cities are really the economic drivers and they're the ones that need to be given priority over nation states. And she's right. Like if you think about other places, like London has its own reputation. New York is known for its financial district. LA is known for its economy in the film sector. So let's start being intentional about who we are as a city. I think that's going to be incredibly important moving forward. That's a good thing is, is creating that identity. And you, you hear about corporations and businesses talking about culture, which leads me sort of into my next question. Doing that, I know I have a lot of friends in music, a lot of friends in the arts, and it seems like there's always a, a point where they're saying, no, I got to go to Vancouver. I got to go to BC because that's where, you know, they have more arts and culture and, and everything there. And it, it just seems like where um, I, I get, I get annoyed because I'm like, it's like, give us a chance, right? Like, you know, I'll go out to, I'll go out to something. I'll go out to a, a show or maybe even it's a, a gallery or whatnot. And the the numbers aren't there even the people that are claiming that we don't have a culture are not supporting it so how do we 
how do we turn that around and, and get get um, get sort of the arts involved in in the city and trying to hold on to that as well? Brian, it's a great question about what we're doing to bolster our creative sector and, you know, what kind of investment are we willing to make? I was really proud to be part of council in 2018 when during the setting of the four-year budget, we increased the funding to the arts sector by 70%. And that was something that a lot of members of council didn't think we would ever be able to accomplish, but we did it for a couple of reasons. First of all, we made the business case. What are the number of jobs? What are the number of businesses? What is the impact on GDP? And the people that need to see it from that lens bought into it. But equally importantly, the folks that needed to see the social outcomes understood that when we're cutting programming in our public education system and brain development in children is directly linked to exposure to the arts, the Glenbow Museums, the you know Arts Commons, the uh, national music centers of the world become ever more important. Those are our partners that are enriching the lives of our kids who really will benefit from the arts. So between those two arguments, we had enough members of council voting to increase the budget. But let's talk about the fact that we are the one municipality in this country that underfunds the arts. And there's a reason for that. We were so successful in oil and gas production, we let those companies pay for everything. And we're now seeing the result of that. We relied on our private sector inordinately to do a lot of the things that other cities are funding on their own. So we're playing catch up in a downturn economy and that is not easy. That's, uh, that's actually a really good point because that's, I mean, that's a lot of what I was hearing back in our glory days is that the private sector is buying these, you know, whether it's artwork or they're, they're, they're providing the, the dollars for that and they're, and they're supporting the, the arts and the culture and, and with buying tickets to the whether it's the ballet or the orchestra yeah it's if you look at the amount of, of philanthropy that comes from our business sector if you look at the individual donors to the arts so many of them have ties to oil and gas so like it's it's pretty interesting in a city like ours where people prioritize the oil and gas sector and they deprioritize everything else if you actually talk to community leaders, you know, people that have status, they will tell you that the arts is incredibly important for a vibrant city, and they themselves have invested dollars into it. So I think it's a really good indicator that Calgary can thrive and be strong in those sectors in music and performing arts and theater. But we just have to believe in ourselves. And as a municipal government, we have to make those investments. Absolutely. Which all comes back to creating a culture, which I, I feel we have a bit of an identity crisis as much as we have a, a, an economic crisis as well. Well, and we have a regulatory crisis too. Like ugh, we suck the fun out of so many things. Like when we have outdoor festivals in the winter, why do we have to put gates around the fire pits? You know, why do you have to have a permit to do every single thing? And why can you not do certain things in certain places because the land use won't allow it? As a regulatory body, we need to get out of our own way sometimes and just let some of the fun be organic and natural and just happen instead of trying to control and regulate it. When it comes to regulation, you always go, well, you know, you can't trust people to, you know, we look at, um, I mean, this is, Gosh, I'm realizing how far back this is, but the flames run and the whole red mile thing. I mean, even though there's a little bit of property damage, I mean, but for what it was, 
it was still relatively peaceful. It wasn't like any of our other Canadian cities where cars are being flipped over. And, right? Like it was, you know, we're civilized people out here in Calgary. <laughs> but um, with that too, small business, a bit of a segue here into, into small business, but I come from a line of small business. My family has had a shop here in, in Calgary for 50 years. My grandparents started it off. Canuck Amusements, give them a shout out. <laughs> so it's party supplies and trophies and, you know. All you the need, cool things. All the cool things. You need tickets for anything, you know, that's, that's sort of where you go. I heard with the last administration, a lot of small business owners that I know were not necessarily happy with the last administration for for business taxes and whatnot and saying geez we're being like we're the little guy and we're being beat up here what are your thoughts on on that going forward well there's a very good reason that the little guy felt that they were being beat up and that's because in our budgeting processes we weren't having big conversations and i remember asking in 2019 so what proportion of our operating budget is paid for by businesses And the answer I got back was 55%. And that doesn't mean anything unless you look at it in context. The business community, the non-residential properties are only contributing 20% of the revenue stream of property taxes. But you're expected to pay for 55% of the operating budget. Something's wrong with that formula. So it took about eight months of very heavy work and a lot of partnerships with groups like the Calgary Chamber of Commerce and working with a lot of small businesses to convince my council colleagues that we had to change that proportion. And we actually did it. We moved it from a 55-45 split to 48% responsibility for non-residential properties or businesses and 52 for residential. Now, let me tell you, I wasn't overly popular with homeowners because they anticipated a bigger hit, but there's half a million homes in this city. For them to be able to shoulder 7% of that burden, meant on average an increase of about $200 a year, but it kept a lot of our businesses open. So I think if we're not budgeting properly with eyes wide open of what we are doing to residential and non-residential property taxpayers, we're not making solid decisions. So, you know, once again, it sounds awfully nerdy to talk about formulas and math, but that's frankly what we're elected to do. That's the boring behind the scenes part of the job that, you know, everybody just sees the the face, right? And some politicians are really good at that, which is, I was going to ask a question about um, kind of like celebrity and this this whole idea of what your thoughts were on, on people that didn't have as much qualifications going into, into, into government, but had that name and had that. So you, you take a look at Donald Trump and Others that are, you know, when you talk about Oprah, one, you know, people said, oh, we want Oprah to be, you know, president and, and whatnot. And we're talking about these different celebrities that we should have as uh, as leaders and what your thought is on that. It's a really good question, Ryan. And it's politics is an interesting thing because you get elected based on your brand recognition. Like people need to know who you are. That's a fact. If people don't know your name, you don't get elected. And so the benefit that people who are running federally and provincially have is that there's a name of a party attached to their run. So they can claim to be NDP or conservative or liberal, and they've got the strength of that brand plus their name. 
a lot of times you won't even see the name of the candidate highlighted. You'll just see, you know, that they are a conservative candidate or a liberal candidate. When it comes to municipal politics, we don't have a party system. And without a party system, your name is all you have. So you have got to get out there and make sure that people know who you are. I've been running for eight months flat out to make sure that people know my name and they know who I am. You would think that the policies and the platform and my track record would be the most important thing. It is significant. It's important for those voters who are making an informed decision, but they still have to know who you are before they can look at any of that. It's kind of funny because I've had this conversation with with other other people that are running and council women and councilmen that are running. My thing is is that I, I look at it and even at my age at you know forty plus, <laughs> I've I've always looked at it and gone. I think there are a lot of people that hit that polling stage or hit hit the uh, voting booth, and are just like, oh, that name sounds nice, right? Because even when we had TV and radio, at least there was that, uh, the masses were tuned in. Where now, myself, I don't have cable, so I don't listen to mainstream news or anything as much. You know, I try and get it from the internet. I mean, I'll still like look at the Calgary Herald and on the internet and whatnot, but it's very tough. Most people don't have cable. Most people you know, we'll have like a satellite radio or their own, you know, MP3s or whatever they're putting into their car. So they're not getting local, local radio. How do you get out there? How do you, how do you get your name out there now? I know there's social media. That's, a, that's probably the biggest one. Well, you have to deploy a number of different strategies. And I think COVID has taught us that you have to be incredibly creative in this election. Like we couldn't see people face to face for a very long time. And, you know, so I launched in January when things were looking pretty dodgy and it wasn't until June that I could actually have meetings with people, whether it was outside or, you know, eventually inside, but then what do you do? How do you campaign? You couldn't even door knock because it wasn't safe. And so my team deployed a bunch of different strategies. As soon as it was okay to have gatherings outside, we started hitting all of the places that we know Calgarians love to be. We went to their favorite parks. We went to their festivals. We did things like a scooter ride through downtown. Just A, it's fun. And B, you see a lot of people along the way. And so, you know, you have to be creative. And I think someone who's running for mayor, understanding the great parts of this city and going to them and engaging with citizens is absolutely how you campaign properly. And this, this type of a setting, a virtual setting, I don't know how many of these I have done. I've done hundreds of virtual coffee parties. I have talked to so many Calgarians in this type of a setting. We've been doing backyard parties now that that's been safe. I've just been getting out in front of people. And the best part of it for me isn't talking about myself. I do the quick intro, but it's the other 50 minutes that we spend with them sharing their hopes, their questions, their ideas for the future that we're trying to shape together. I really like that. That's super important to, I've always liked to say, you know, you've been, you've been given two ears and one mouth. You're better off to, to listen than to spout off. Yeah, that's great that you're, you know, taking in um, the ideas of what other people have and listening to, you know, what some of their concerns are. Back to the sort of the marketing of yourself. What I thought was like really interesting with this meeting up in person 
is that we actually did my, I'm a realtor here in Calgary, and we did a pancake breakfast. We were like, do we do a pancake breakfast? Do we not do a pancake breakfast? We did one, and we actually had a um, another popular candidate. I will not mention the name just because I don't want to you know, give any negative feelings towards one or another, right? Uh, but the candidate came and started, you know, doing the shaking of hands and kissing of the babies and, and everything, but saying thank you for coming to our event. <laughs> like it was like them that set it up. And so we had to kind of go and be like, okay, listen, you know, like, thank you for being here, but... <laughs> this is not your event, right? Like, you got to stop saying that to people. It was interesting emerging from stage two to stage three. I mean, I was incredibly concerned about it. I was very vocal about it. I felt like we were jumping off a cliff. On June the 30th, you couldn't have somebody visit you in your home. But on July the 1st, you could, like, do anything you wanted with anybody (laughs) you wanted to. I don't think that allowed people to transition into um, less restrictions in a proper manner. And you can see the discomfort. You probably noticed it at your barbecue. People didn't know whether you should bump an elbow or shake a hand or the people that went in for hugs without asking. uh, You you could see people physically put up their hands. It was really, it was weird for lack of a better word, emerging from full restrictions to nothing overnight. I've kind of resorted to like doing like a about like a namaste kind of namaste kind of thing i'm <laughs> um, just from like you know doing martial arts in the past it was something that i was like i didn't know what to do one day and i did and i did that and i was like and they were like that is amazing and everyone said that they wanted to adopt it i'm like go for it take it but um yeah it's, it's interesting how it's changed us and changed our feelings and made us a little bit more standoffish of each other a little bit well i mean if we put a positive spin on it i think we've become more aware of our space and how much space we occupy and how much space others need around them. Um, you know, there's, there's people that are natural huggers and there's people that are not. And I think the people that were not the embracing type sort of felt like they were having this hug thrust upon them at all times. And I think now we're being very, I think we're being cognizant of asking people, you know, um, what are you comfortable with? And it feels kind of strange, but I think it's also respectful of others and their their space and, you know, what what they wish to do when they interact with you. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I'm a giant hugger. <laughs> I'm a giant hugger. But um, with that, it's just, I just have no idea where we're going to go. Anybody that asks me, like, where, where we're at with this, I know there's people on... It's not even a right and a left thing, but, you know, if you looked at it, like, on each side of the scale, you know, you have the people that are very anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers, and you have the people that are very, um, you know, pro-maskers to, 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 the, yeah, yeah, to the point of being paranoid and, like, and, have, and almost having a psychosis about it. Um, I'm, like, right down the middle. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm, like, I kind of understand why there'd be some trepidation with some certain things, but at the same time, like, don't be a weirdo and like, and be, you know, you know, wagging your finger at everybody, but definitely interesting where we're going with this. And I mean, I can't wait for it to be all wrapped up. (laughs) I think people are just incredibly tired. 
People are tired of not knowing what's next. People are tired of the pain and suffering that they're watching others go through. We're getting very tired of seeing the numbers increase and seeing no response from our public health authority. I think we're just, we're beyond frustrated. We're beyond shocked and surprised. We are just incredibly let down. We are devastated for people who are dying and we are reeling from the void of leadership that we're seeing. And that's very much where I think it is too, is there's a, there's a void in that leadership and a void of a consistency in, in messaging about, about this. It's, so you mentioned earlier about how you couldn't go see your family on the 30th, but you know, woohoo on the first, right? Um, and that's sort of what I find the same thing with the schools. It's like, okay, we're gonna shut down everything, but let's send the kids back and, uh, oh, hey, you know, you have a cool little Batman mask. I have a Spider-Man mask, let's change them. You know, sure, we're not effective and we're not symptomatic, but we're gonna go home and give it to everybody, right? It's like, so it's, it's uh, you know, and absolutely kids have to go to school, they have to be socialized because I think we're gonna end up with a bunch of weird kids if they don't, <laughs> if, if we don't do that. They're missing the social interaction that they need to be healthy young people. And they're, they're sad when they're isolated and stuck at home. And I think it's, you know, we talk a lot about the mental health impacts, but just the emotional impacts too, right? It's, it's lonely. It is very isolating to not be able to see your peers. And I think that's why, you know, as, as grownups, we have to be incredibly responsible and do the right thing and follow the science so that our kids can actually get back to some sort of sense of having a regular childhood. I won't call it normal because, you know, there's no such thing as normal, but something that's more regular, something that is um, allowing them to just be instead of constantly be, you know, worried about what's coming next. One thing, if you were to accomplish one thing as mayor of Calgary, what, what would that thing have to be? You know, it would be ensuring that people who are in positions of vulnerability in our city right now that feel there's no hope and no one's looking out for them would feel that they've been seen and they've been heard and we have taken action to help them get out of those positions. That is a very lofty goal, but I would like to see the number of people who have no home um, go down. I would love to see more people have a roof over their head and the proper supports they need to keep that roof over their head. Uh, it's the number one indicator of success for people is to be housed. And so I think we really need to be very clear that that's an important mandate for the city to execute on. I love it, especially as a realtor. <laughs> Everybody needs a house. <laughs> Go see Ryan. <laughs> so thank you very much for coming, um, Jody. And until next time, stay epic. Thanks again for listening to Epic Phelan. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at RealRyanPhelan, and visit my website at thecalgaryrealestateguy.com. Until next time, stay epic.